Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. With a prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, you cause all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. All right. So we're, we're doing the first chapter to Colossians today. The Bible truth that I think this first chapter uh, there's many Bible truths, but the one I want to highlight today is, is that the gospel has impact on our lives. The gospel has an impact on our lives. And, and so the goal I want you to see is I want you to be able to recognize how the gospel impacted the Christians in Colossae. And then I want you to similarly be able to say how the gospel has impacted your life. And a Bible verse that kind of encapsulates this is John 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Okay. So an opening reflection. Think of a time when you saw somebody's life radically change for the better. Can you think of a time? How did you react to that change? Uh, what do you th- what did you think to say about that person or to that person? So have you experienced that where somebody's changed? <laughs> Kathy's nodding her head. I, I or not Kathy. I'm so Wendy. Thank you. Wendy's nodding her head. Um, many times. Many times. I was an at risk youth teacher. Yeah. And most well, all of my students that came to me had a life crisis and was going through some serious issue in their lives. Mm-hmm. And the final day that, you know, and it could be years, that they handed in their last assignment to me to graduate, the light bulbs went off. Mm-hmm. So my first thing was I was very proud mm-hmm. and very hopeful. And a lot of times it brought tears to my emotional, just mm-hmm. to see how somebody could turn their lives around and accomplish something. Okay. So I, I saw it for years. Years. What about... What about any of you? Have you seen someone's life was going one way and they, and they managed to turn it around? I can think of a number of people I went to high school with that were notorious bad actors all through high school. And they kind of got you their lives. <laughs> so did you. Um, yeah, but they, they seem to have got their life turned around and they're very successful now and have got nice families and they're moving forward. So, somebody uh, in my family once told me, um, this was when I was in seminary, and uh, you guys know my family story, people don't change, Matthew. You haven't changed, because you can't change. Is that kind of an attitude, the kind of attitude that... that, that that we've seen in our, that you've experienced in your lives? People don't change. <laughs> uh, I think we'd all agree people can and do change, don't, don't they? 
And, and uh, have you changed? Are you the same person that you were uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Um, so we know people change. There is some truth in that, though, in that statement, because by ourselves we can't. <laughs> there, great segue. Let's, that is that 100%. By, by ourselves we cannot change. That's, that's absolutely right. And so this first chapter to the Colossians, uh, for, the better. for the better, we can't change for the better. Well, now, now let, let, let me, let me push back on that just a little bit. Let me push back just a little bit. Um, in Lutheran theology, we talk about two types of righteousness. Okay. There's the righteousness you have vertically with your, your relationship with God on that type of righteousness. You cannot change on your own. There is righteousness vertically, horizontally. Ken, is it possible for somebody a completely on their own effort to clean up their life and get off of drugs and alcohol and turn their life around? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it's not dealing with spiritual things. It's dealing with physical, physical things. And so we have some freedom, our Lutheran confessions say, in matters that are horizontal in civil matters, matters that don't relate to God, you have freedom. But, but when it comes to things about God, we have, we're hampered, right? We're hampered by sin. It, we're, we're, we can't do what we want. I cannot by my own, uh, I, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ and come to him, right? So it's, it's, there's that uh, bondage of the will in relation to things of God. Okay, just that's a bit of a clarity, but you're, you're right. All right, let's, uh, I, I'm going to read the first eight verses to start us off, and then we'll, we'll go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay. So our first question here, what qualities does Paul see in the lives of the Colossians that indicate that the gospel is bearing fruit. And how do those qualities reflect the good news of Jesus? We'll start there. The big thing that jumped out at me was it's been about 30 years since Pentecost, and now he's saying that the good news is spread to all the world. I understand that the Roman world the Roman, is talking about yeah. there. But that's still pretty good in 30 years to mm-hmm. get it spread that far. That's so right. That is the fruit that I see. That's, that's right. So, so there's, 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 there's the fruit um, 
that the gospel has, has spread throughout the whole known world. Um, what other um, qualities does Paul see that uh, indicates that the gospel has borne fruit in the lives of the Colossians? He's heard about it from other sources. He's heard about it from other sources, right? So he, he's, there have been good reports have come to him. What, what do those good reports consist of? The love that they have for the, the saints. The love that they have for the saints. And the hope that they have, right? That's that's right. Um, so so um, um and, and so he so in verse four, um, notice the two things. What are those two things that that um, that he that he the two things that he's uh, um, indicates the gospel has borne fruit. Faith in Christ Jesus and the love. Yes, the faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all the saints. Um, isn't that similar to that prayer we pray sometimes at the end of communion? Um, um, that God would increase in us faith toward you and fervent love towards one another, right? Um, you can see that, it, it, that, 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 that prayer is based on verses kind of like this one. All right, so, so now we, we've seen that they've, we've seen some of the, these these fruits. Now, the second part of this question is, how do those qualities reflect the good news of Jesus? Or maybe put differently, um, how, how, how do those qualities relate to the good news of Jesus? Perhaps was a better way of putting it. What's the connection? Um, They're emulating Jesus. In his love towards all others. Right. The good news creates faith, and faith creates love for that, others. Do, do you see that? The good news creates faith, and faith creates love for others. Do, do you see that? And, and that's, that's in. Um, um, so notice that in verse 5, their, their hope is where? In heaven, it's a, it's an objective reality, right? And it is notice. So verse five, it is the love for all the saints. Why? What's the word? What's the connector? It's a, uh, the connector. First word of verse five. Because. Because. Do you see that? That's that's the point that Dale just made. Do you see it there? They have love for all the saints. Why? Because of the, of the hope laid up for them in heaven. Do you see that? They love because God has given them hope in heaven. Right? My Bible says, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. The, the very, it doesn't the, say because. In verse 5? Yeah. What? Um, I get, bet you any money that's an NIV. Yeah. 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 The, the, the problem with the NIV in general is, can be seen here where it does not, the, the, it, that's the 1984 edition. The 1984 edition of the NIV didn't always translate the becauses, which are very, which are very important. They changed that when they updated it in 2011. They released a, a 2011 update, which has issues. But one of the things they did correct was it's a, it's a three little, it's a little Greek word 
Three letters, G-A-R, gar, it means because. And for Paul, it's really important. But, um, so, so. Yeah. So, um, in, in the NIV, where does it say the whole, where does it talk about heaven there? In verse four or verse five? Where have they put the split there? You talking to me? Yes. Um, the faith and love that spring from the hope that he stored for you yeah, that's, that's there you go. Yeah, so there it is. So NIV, see what the NIV does is is, is they make it, they've, they've interpreted it for you. It's the faith and hope and love spring up from the hope that you have in heaven. See that? So so um, the, the Greek actually just says because, but they've they've taken that and then given you a bit of an interpretation. It springs up. Your, your faith and love spring up from an objective reality that God has given you hope in heaven. Um, so so we, um, you can, you can um, for Paul, his choice of words are very, are, are very important. You can, you can always, if you look when you're reading Paul, follow his becauses and ifs and fors, and you can start to follow his logic. Um, all right, so, so you, you caught that point. Now, to what extent, this is a, nobody has, you don't have to answer this, but this is something that we need to begin to think about here. And that is, to what extent would you say the word of truth, the gospel, is evident in your own life? How has the, huh? Not enough. That's, that's, ain't that the truth, brother? Um, So... We have that, we have that, that's why we pray that prayer at the end of communion, that God would use the objective realities that we've heard talked about during service to increase our faith toward him and our love for one another. And and as uh, Murray says, that's something we always need more of. We need to always need more faith in God and and we always need more love for each other. Um, And that springs from the the objective hope that you have that God has won for you in Christ. I'm looking for that mustard seed size faith that I can move mountains. That, that's right. <laughs> looking for that. All right, let's let's move on to the next uh, next uh, chunk there. Nine to fourteen. Does somebody want to read that next paragraph? Nine to fourteen, please. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, patience, and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Awesome. So, looking at this paragraph here, what does Paul specifically pray for the Christians in Colossae? That they may be filled with the knowledge of um, God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Yep. And, and what would be the purpose of that? So they continue to grow in faith and do God's will. That's right. Yep. And, and um, 
to to what? So you have um, and, and so so in verse nine there you have what what Wendy has said that he's praying that they will be filled with all with knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The purpose then in verse ten, so as. See that? So as. To lead a life worthy of the Lord. Right. Pleasing to him and yep. bearing fruit. Right. So, so so as to walk in a manner of the Lord fully pleasing to him. Now, the next part of the question is how does Paul say the, the Colossians will know that they are pleasing to God? They're bearing fruit. Bearing fruit? Okay. How else will they know that they are pleasing to God? Increasing their knowledge. No, I, I, I don't think... Um, I don't think they know that they're pleasing to him by their fruit. I, I think it's there's something else there I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to get at. How does Paul say here that the Colossians know that they are pleasing to God? They're living a life worthy of the Lord. No. He's telling them they are. <laughs> He's telling them they are. Okay, now we're starting down the right track. How is he telling them they are? What does he say in this paragraph that tells them that they are pleasing to God? Look at the end of the paragraph. Near the end. Down by verse 13 and 14. Yeah, 12 to 13, okay. 12 and onward. Look, look in 12 and onward. I'll give you guys the hint there. So we're looking, how do the Colossians know that they are pleasing to God? Notice, in, what does verse 12 say? The Father who has qualified you. The Father who has qualified you. Okay, that's... Well, Paul just told them. Yeah, but... They don't know it beforehand until somebody tells them. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's right. Right. It, it, and, and notice in 13, he, he has qualified them. How does he qualify them? 13 and 14. He delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the, the kingdom of his beloved son in whom they have redemption the forgiveness of sins. So how do the Colossians know? So they're believing that, that what Paul is telling them is the truth. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's why, Paul, that's why Paul states in verse 1 who he is and what his credentials are. I get that, but still, he's still a man. He's still a man, but, but he's, he's an apostle. So he's, he's saying uh, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, somebody sent by Jesus mm -hmm. and by the will of God. So, he's, so that's why Paul often will highlight the fact that I'm an apostle. That means I, so I, did, so I didn't choose. Sorry, delivering them from darkness, is that referring to baptism? Yep, there's a bit of a, a yep, there's some baptismal language here, absolutely. Um, um, <coughs> we often start, when we do a baptism, um, um, the line goes something along the lines of, um, we are all born... Um, Sinful and under the power of the devil until Christ comes and claims us as his own. And then, and then you know, you receive the sign of the cross, 
both upon your head and upon your heart to mark you out as one belonging to Christ, the crucified. So I want you to see, though, here, though. So Paul, I, let's back up because Paul can be tricky sometimes. What's he saying? He's saying, number one, he's praying that they would, um, that they may be filled with knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom. That's verse nine, right? You see that? In verse 10, he gives you the purpose. Why are they going to, why does he want them to be filled with um, knowledge of spiritualism? So as, here's the purpose, so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in their knowledge of God. And in verse 11, what else does he say? This is all purpose. This is what he, this is the intent, this is what, this is what, um, Paul is going, hoping is going to happen to them. That they are going to continue uh, in the, to walk with God. Yeah, and and whose power, is, is, whose power in verse eleven is going to be at work here? God's. God's. Whose glorious might? His glorious might. For all the endurance and the right. So it's not their might. He's hoping that. It's that God will give them the strength, do you see that? To bear fruit, to keep going, and, ha- and, and, so, and, and then that they would give thanks to God who qualified them. The reason why they are pleasing to God is because God qualified them. God sent his son to die for them, to transfer them out of the devil's kingdom into Jesus's kingdom to re- redeem them. That word redemption, of course, means to buy. You redeem a coupon, right? It, it, it's to purchase. Um, it has the connotations of like the slave market. You, the way the price you pay for a slave. Um, you might think of Egypt. That would be probably right. Um, so uh, he, his God's beloved son. There, that gives you um, hints of the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved son, right? And and in him you have the forgiveness of sins. So God has made them, um, God has, um, they know they are pleasing to God because of Jesus. And Paul wants that to be the power that um, bears fruit in their lives. Knowing that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to God's kingdom, that your sins are forgiven, Paul says that should impact your life. And part of the ways that'll impact is you'll bear fruit for good works. You'll know God's will. You'll understand. You'll walk. That means live in a manner that pleases God. Right? You're living in a manner that pleases God, not to please him, but because you are pleasing to him in Jesus. It's the result. Right? Okay, let's, um, in light of all that, then, in your own words now, how can you know that you are pleasing to God and being fruitful? Giving credit to God, giving thanks to God, giving credit to God for everything that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving credit to God. That's right. Well, even by coming to church on Sunday morning, 
God knows that you want to improve your strength and knowledge of his word. So that is pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. So the fact that your neighbor's seen you get into the car of the church. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, Mind you, if you're doing it solely for the purpose to show your neighbors that you're better than the <laughs> that's wrong. That's, there's the fair. Yeah, that, the, the, um, I heard a pastor once say there's a little Pharisee in all of us. You know, like you hear those cartoons where there's a little angel and a little devil, or for us, it's just a little Pharisee, you know. Um, As Lutherans, we go to church to show that we are worse than their enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go yeah. ask for forgiveness. <laughs> now, your, um, your baptismal image, by the way, is verse 14, the first two words in the RSV and ESV. In whom? In whom? There's your baptism. Uh, because Paul, baptism, Paul says elsewhere in Romans, that baptism unites you to Christ. And so when Paul talks about you being in Christ or in Jesus... That is baptism language. You're baptized into Christ. You are in Christ. So there's your, there's your baptism language there. Um, and also, God the Father is pleased with Jesus. So right. If he's pleased with Jesus, he's pleased, pleased with, with you. That's Because he's our that, Absolutely, 100%. If, if he's pleased with Jesus, he's pleased with us because we're in Jesus. And, it, and that should, Paul's saying, bear fruit in our lives. That should change us. Right? What do they say? Christians, uh, cows, cows moo, dogs bark, Christians meow, or Christians meow, cats meow, and Christians do good works. I mean, yeah, right? It, it, it's, it's what we do naturally, not to be, right? Uh, somebody who's trying to earn God, to, to please God, to earn God's favor by doing good works is like somebody taking, you know, taking apples, going to a dead tree, and stapling the apples to the tree. Right? And you say, look, I got fruit. But, but that fruit did not come from the tree. You put it on the tree. It's not organically linked to the tree. Good tree, Jesus says, produces good fruit. If you have a fruit problem, then Paul is saying here, if you have a problem with good work, if you have a problem bearing fruit, if you have a problem... Um, if you have a problem uh, with good works, what's the solution? Think backwards here. Repentance, R repentance kind of. Um, repentance is always involved, but um, w w what, what's, uh, if you have a problem with good works. It's lack of faith. Do you see that? Right? What, what you need more of is the gospel. It, it, yeah, repentance is repentance is always two things, right? Uh, confessions, uh, Augsburg Confession says repentance is two things. First, it is uh, confession of sin, and then second, it is faith in faith in. Yeah. You're gonna see that you're not doing the works. You're gonna try to staple some apples to your dead tree. That's right. If you don't say I can't do this, but now, but then the gospel comes and gives you that. Yes, and we want to emphasize here that the gospel. Not your repentance is what gives the power to, uh, to bear fruit. Your repentance is just 
acknowledging that there's a problem, right? Uh, they say, what is this, the 12 steps? Saying you have a problem is the first step towards recovery. Um, it's kind of the same thing, but your repentance is not the thing that creates good fruit. It's the gospel is what creates fruit. Yeah, I was, I was talking about the whole part of repentance. Mm-hmm. So you could also say, um, by the way here, that forgiveness of sins brings freedom. That's another, that's another point that Paul makes here. Um, forgiveness of sins brings freedom. You're free um, from the, the tyranny of Satan because God has forgiven you your sins. Okay. Let's read uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Somebody want to read that? I'll read it. It's fine. So continuing on, the last relative pronoun was his beloved son. Then in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so here we have the famous, a famous hymn Paul, most commentators think that this is some sort of hymn of the early church that they were um, uh, up until verse uh, 20. 15 to 20 is a hymn from their hymnals, and he's quoting it. So let's talk about that. What titles and descriptions of Jesus, of Christ, do you find in verses 15 to 20? So... What, what, what titles about Jesus do you see here in verses 15 to 20? What descriptions, titles? Image of God. He's the image of God. Yeah, the icon, it says. The head of the body of the church. The head of the body of the church, right. What other, what other titles do you see here? Also head of the whole world, dominions or rulers or authorities. Right, right. Um... Most important one, the fullness of God. The fullness of God dwells in him, right? Yeah, that's right. So, and uh, so we have the image of God. That means if, if Jesus is the image of God, what does that mean for us? Well, an image of something does what? 
it reflects, right? It shows you what it's like, right? Uh, an image of uh, a sunset will show you what a sunset's like. And, and Jesus shows you what the Father is like um, because he is um, uh, the image of God. What does Jesus say to Philip? I think it's Philip in John 15-ish. Uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father also. All right? And then I want you to note that when he said, when, as Mark talked about, the, the, he's the ruler. It says, visible, invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, uh, dominions and, and authorities. Those kinds of things refer not just to earthly kings. They refer to angelic powers, that kind of thing. Um, then we have in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Everything that it means for God to be God is in the human Jesus Christ. He is both true God and true man at the same time. Uh, he's not part of God. He doesn't have a portion of God. He is fully and completely God at the same time as being fully and completely human. Uh, what other titles do we see of Jesus here? <coughs> and works. Huh. He's the head of the body of the church, right? So uh, we saw that he's the head of the church. We're missing a big one. Firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. And in verse 15, you see that same phrase, firstborn. Firstborn of all creation. Now, Jehovah's Witness comes to your door. Says, Jesus here is the firstborn of all creation. That means he was the first created thing, right? So what does it mean? Right, he's the author of creation. Right, he's the one who, and from the text, you see that, don't you? He says he created all things, right? All things, earth, heaven, in the flesh, and and he's in the. But the first, that word, firstborn. What is a what is a firstborn? The beginning of a line. Kind of. It's it's the air. He's the heir. Um, um, the, the, the right of firstborn can be, it, it doesn't always refer to the first oldest male. There are times in the Old Testament, several places, where God calls somebody who isn't the firstborn his firstborn. <laughs> Jacob. Jacob. Right, exactly. Israel. Um, and the point is made here in verse... Uh, uh, 18, at the end of that, 18. In everything he might be preeminent. See that? Preeminent. So Jesus has the highest exalted position. Okay, so we've seen, we've seen that. Also, I want to highlight that um, in verse 17, it says that he exists before all things. He can't, um, can't be created if he existed before all things. Uh, and in him all things hold together. The whole universe is held up through Jesus, through his power. Now, what changes in the Colossians occur as a result of who Jesus is? Verses 21 through 23. How does, that, how does all of that theology affect the Colossians? 
because they have faith, they're holy and blameless. They're holy and blameless, absolutely. And there's been a complete change of heart. There's been a complete change of heart. They're holy and blameless. They were once uh, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You see that? And now they've been reconciled. Things are completely different. They're no longer alienated. They're no longer cast off from God. They're no longer hostile towards God in their minds. Uh, and now they're above reproach and holy and blameless through faith in Jesus. And if they continue in faith. Um, do you see that? So what are, the, we don't, um, what are some of the implications of that for our own homes, our family lives, our work our volunteering, our life as citizens, our life in the church. How does this affect us? How, how do you think... We've seen how it's... in. Um, well, we too should be affected the way the Colossians were affected and through the power of the gospel. That's right. That's right. Um, and and um, so let's, let's take them one at a time. Well, but we should be affected. And, and notice, because we are not alienated, we are no longer alienated from God and from one another, that should affect our family life because these are fellow sinners of ours. They've also been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, right? Uh, that should affect how we treat them. We're no longer, um, the, the, through the gospel, we no longer do evil deeds. That should affect everything we do. That should affect our life in the world. That should affect, uh, right? So the point here is to, is to think about the ways in which the gospel not only forgives your sins and qualifies you for heaven, but the ways in which the gospel bears fruit in your life. And that fruit goes out and affects every aspect of your life. Because God is not just uh, God on Sunday morning, right? He's God all the time of everything. Um, and so the gospel bears fruit in our lives, in our families, in the world, in everything that happens. All right, time is fleeting. I'm going to finish off here from uh, the last paragraph here. 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay. How does Paul's mission help people become perfect or mature in Christ? Paul 
this side have it, right? How does it start the process? They become more Christ-like. Right. And how does Paul's <laughs> ministry do that? By creating faith. By creating faith. Bingo, right? Through the Word of God, right? Paul's been sent to do what? To preach both law and gospel. Right? He says two things. I, he warns everyone and he teaches everyone. Law and gospel. And doing that creates faith. And that bears fruit. And it begins the process of getting us to where God wants us to be. Now, Dale's 100% right. We cannot get there in this life. But the process has started and God will finish it one day. Right? So that even if you don't have a formal teaching position or leadership position in the church, what can you do to help Christians around you, in your family, in your work, your church, to become more mature than they are, <laughs> to start them down the process? What can you do? Become more like a servant. Become more like a servant, absolutely. Serve them. How else? Uh, set an example for them. Set an example for them, sure. Don't forget about what we just said about what, how Paul does it. How, how can you do it? Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Share the gospel with them. Right? By you sharing the gospel with them, God will work through you just like he works through St. Paul. Sure, you're not a pastor, but the word of God is not limited to pastors. You can proclaim the gospel too. <laughs> and when you talk, talk to others, that has God's word has effect it, it works you don't even have to be eloquent god's word works when god as god's word works okay our final reflection then something you can take home something to think about this week how is your life different how are you changed since you've been changed from being alienated from god to be reconciled through christ's death something to to think about this week how is Jesus has died from you, fight, died for you. He's reconciled you with his blood. You have been brought into God's favor. How has that impacted your life? That's something to think about this week. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have delivered us from Satan's kingdom, and you have made us citizens of heaven, uh, subjects under the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, we thank you that in him you have given us access to heaven. You have forgiven us our sins, reconciled us to you, uh, and that you have, um, through your church, through pastors, and through one another, you proclaim your word to us. Uh, we ask that you would let your spirit work in our hearts so that we may uh, repent of sins, trust more boldly in you, and bear forth, and we'd ask that your Holy Spirit would enable us to bear fruit uh, so that um, we may uh, glorify your name, not by what we do, but by magnifying your work in our lives. And this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.